Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 2, Episode 18. Crossroads. The old man crouched behind a parked van with Bill and surveyed the building. It was the same van he and Brad had crouched behind only a few short days earlier. A wave of deja vu passed through him, and the little hairs on the nape of his neck tingled. The human mind was a funny thing. What did it see in these echoes of the past that made it bridle with physical manifestation? Deja vu, the old man thought. Wasn't that a Steely Dan album his wife had played over and over in their New York apartment? No, that was Asia. He could picture her smiling and swaying in the morning sunbeams to the melody as he read the times and harumphed, pretending to disapprove. The building would wake up around them, and that would bring the cold reality of the place back into focus. She would brush that always-out-of-control black hair back out of her eyes and shrug at him with a pout. She had been beautiful. Had they been happy? The old man looked down at the cracked parking lot in the shadow of the van and felt such a weight of sadness, he thought he would collapse. The human brain, he thought, jumping from deja vu to nostalgia to regret at the speed of light. He wished he had recognized the happy times when he was living them, but he hadn't, and he felt that loss now. Not just the loss of his happy times, but the loss of all future and potential happy times. There was no getting it back. There was no rewind to do things differently. No doubt there were corpses rotting in that cracker box apartment now, and that young woman who had smiled and danced was dead. Physically dead from the plague. But hadn't she been dead alive many years from the crushing weight and pain of life, much of which surely was his fault? He couldn't go back. He could only go forward. He couldn't tell her he was sorry for the pain he caused, but he could still find Paul, if only to account for him, if only to give him a decent burial. Finding Paul might atone for some of the pain— he could do that for her. He would make sure the universe remembered that Paul had been here, that they had all been here for their brief, lucid, human moment. Bill made a sighing sound and licked the old man's ear. Cheese dog! The old man hissed, shaken from his reveries and wiping dog spit from his ear. I don't need your kisses! He scratched behind the ears of the big head and looked into the dog's guileless eyes. 
Let's try to keep it professional. Someone had repaired the door that he and Brad jimmied open last time. It was secured with a chain and padlock. He wasn't going to get back in that way unless he found some bolt cutters. Only in the movies can you hit a chain with a rock and break it. He eased open the van door and fished around behind the seat for tools. There weren't any bolt cutters, but there was a sizable tire iron. He could open one of the other doors around the side. Probably better. Less obvious. Man and dog eased their way through the darkness of the building. They groped their way in the dim light towards the loading docks where they had stashed their gear. Bill sniffed at the air. It was an industrial smell, like dusty vitamins mixed with antiseptic cleaner. He found the place and fished into the bin to pull out his backpack. He felt around for the headlamp, unclipped it, and pressed the button that engaged the LED beam. The light cast long shadows on boxes, neatly stacked and shrink-wrapped, ready to be shipped. Boxes that would never make it to the customers now. They were dead and didn't need them anyhow. The supply chain was no longer a concern. For those few still alive, the only concern was survival. So much material wealth was here in the complex. It was a shame it would be scattered to the wind by the entropy of this new dark age. Maybe Tasker was right. Maybe there was enough here to be the seed of a new civilization. Mags and the kids could certainly use this stuff to start anew. But the apocalypse wasn't concerned with fairness. The old man bent over the edge of the bin to reach deeper into the loose capsules until he felt what he had been looking for. His hand gripped the stock of the crossbow, and he smiled. He couldn't hold back a small feeling of joy to have his weapon in his possession. Somehow, it made him whole. Somehow, it wiped the last few days of victimhood away. He was a hunter now, and he could deal death. The old man slung his weapon over his shoulder and smiled to himself. He looked back into the bin and saw Brad's backpack. He reached for it. The backpack made a crinkling noise as the junk food shifted. That kid has no sense. The old man shook his head and tossed Brad's pack back into the bin. Not my problem. Bill growled a warning. The old man switched off the light and stood still, listening. Were the men back? Had they found him? He had been listening for vehicles. He hadn't heard any, but... He knew to trust Bill. The dog could hear and smell things, sense things that the old man could not. What was it? Another raccoon or some new danger? There it was. He could hear it now, too. Something was behind them, not far from the door they had entered. The old man quietly readied his weapon. The weight of it felt reassuring against his shoulder. He wasn't going down without a fight this time. He moved quietly, following close behind Bill, senses alert. He could hear his heart beating in his head. They entered the room, and he could see the dim outline of a person. He sighted the crossbow in the chest, just below the throat. Give me a reason. I shouldn't kill you, he said very calmly, but with great weight. No, the form yelped. It was the sound of a woman. 
No, don't shoot. He switched on his light, and the terrified face of an older woman appeared cowering amongst the boxes. Who are you, and what are you doing here? As her eyes adjusted to the light, she recognized him. I'm Becca, from the cafeteria. We met with Mr. Tasker. I cooked for you. What are you doing here? I ran away. I didn't feel safe. Yeah, that was probably a good decision. Are you alone? Yes, yes. I was just looking for somewhere to hide and get inside. This place isn't safe, he said with authority. I learned that the hard way. Come on, let's get out of here. And then, as an afterthought, wait, I've got a backpack for you. The old man led Becca away from the distribution center, circling around until they were back on the main road that led back to the school. Along the way, she told him how Harlan had put Mr. Tasker and Michael and some others in the stocks and locked them in. He made everyone watch. Said I wouldn't kill you. Didn't say anything about not letting you die. Harlan had said with a laugh. He's just going to leave them out there to die of exposure. Becca cried with shock and disbelief. She went on about how Harlan and his men were a detachment from the king's army that got stuck on this side of the river when the bridge was washed out. She railed that things at the distribution center were turning for the worse. Harlan and his men were getting drunk and shooting their guns and being nasty and abusive to everyone. She was afraid for the women and the children. She concluded by beseeching the old man. We gotta find a way to help them. The old man considered this. He didn't want to be unkind, but there was nothing he could do. They were heavily armed thugs, and he didn't see himself riding in there and saving the world. He let her talk. When she had emptied herself of words, he spoke. Lady, I know you're scared, but you need to come to grips with this. Bad things happen now. People are different. The best thing you can do is get on with your life and try to survive. He pointed down the highway. Follow this road for about five miles, maybe two to three hours of walking, and take a right onto School Street. You'll see the buses. Go in there and find Mags. She and the others, they'll take care of you. Aren't you coming? She asked. No, I'm sorry, but the dog and I are going to try and find my son. It's been too long, and I need, I need to know. After some more conversation, Becca slouched off in the direction of the school. The old man sat to rest and eat something. He dug out a protein bar and broke off a piece for the dog. Bill was intensely watching the woman walk out of sight and alternately looking at the old man. Eat something, dog. We've got some miles to cover. Bill took the chunk of food and swallowed it without taking his eyes off the road. The old man stood and brushed himself off. Don't worry about her. We're moving off on our own. Come on. The big dog looked down the road towards the school and then at the old man, but didn't move. The old man shouldered his pack and began to walk in the other direction. Come on, dog, he said more insistently. Bill still didn't move. What? You staging some sort of revolt? Come on. They can survive without us. 
We've got our own mission. Let's go find Paul. He motioned his arm in a come-here gesture and slapped his hand on his thigh. The dog cocked an eyebrow at him and lowered his big head to his paws. That's how it's gonna be? After everything I've done for you? Fine. I don't need you, you stupid dog. With that, the old man spun on his heels and began marching off, listening hard for the sound of Bill's pursuit. He didn't hear anything. After a couple hundred feet, he turned to look. There was the dog, motionless in the middle of the road like a canine sphinx. Bill looked like he would remain there until the world around him crumbled to sand, cursing under his breath. Damn dog! The old man trudged back to the dog. All right, we'll do it your way, but this is on you. One side trip and that's it. He walked past the dog down the road towards the school. Come on, if we pick it up a little, we can catch the kitchen lady. He easily accelerated into a trot. The big dog ran up beside and bumped his big head into the old man's thigh, knocking the man a bit into a sideways stagger. Damn dog! They were gathered around in a classroom. A multicolored world map hung on the back of the door. It had the flags of different nations lined around the outside like a colorful fringe. Mags was addressing Becca. Look! You're welcome to stay with us. We can certainly use the help, but I don't see any way of helping those people. What if we sneak up on them at night? Becca asked. What about Brad? Bella added. We can't just leave him there. You don't think I realize that? Mag snapped back. I just don't see how it could work. They've got at least nine heavily armed men. We've got pistols and sports rifles, and there's only four of us. I'm sorry, but the math just doesn't work. The old man was sitting a bit separated from the rest, scratching the dog's head. There's women and children there, Becca pleaded, exasperated. I know, and I know we could put all those supplies to good use, Mags agreed. But I don't see a way to do it without getting killed for no reason, or worse. She tried to reassure the distraught woman. Look, you escape. Maybe the others will, too. We can keep an eye on the place and help any others. The old man spoke up. You're going to need to move from here, Mags. Eventually, those guys are going to get word to the king and his merry band, and the whole lot will be over here like cockroaches. You're going to want to put some distance between yourself and this place. Then, almost as an afterthought, he added, I'm taking the dog and heading southwest to look for my son. Bella took a sip of hot water. They had ran out of coffee and tea. He's right. We're running low on supplies. We need to move, and we should get the kids away from here. They were at an impasse. Just then, the dog lifted his head with a jerk and knocked the old man back in his chair. Bill turned to face the door. His tail started to wag. Then his whole body got into the act in a wagging shimmy. Jeez, what's got into you?' the old man said. Bill gave him a stupid look from his waggy dance and let out a sharp bark. Everyone in the room snapped their attention at once towards a door like a startled herd of deer. The door swung slowly open.
A figure entered. It was hard to see at first with the sun behind, painting the newcomer like a negative image silhouette. They all squinted, and Mags reached for the gun under her jacket. The figure stopped and scanned the room. A second silhouette appeared over the first person's shoulder. Bella put her hand on Mags's forearm and mouth, Willie! Willie slid into the room, out of the sunlight, and made eye contact with Mags, who nodded acknowledgement in response and visibly relaxed. But it was the second person who caused everyone to catch a breath and hold it. Janet emerged out of the sunlight into the room, dust motes circling like a halo. She was dressed in tight-fitting black jeans, a black T-shirt, and a knee-length black leather jacket. Her hair was pulled back, her face drawn and serious. The old man let out a breath he didn't know he'd been holding. Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. Janet smiled at him. I don't know about your family history, but I'd say you're more of a Neanderthal. This was a moment that Bill decided to launch himself in a full body wag at Janet. He was so happy he couldn't contain himself. Janet caught him and staggered backwards. Okay, big fella, easy does it. The old man stood up and approached the apparition of Janet. He didn't know what to say or how to act. He just stood there awkwardly in silence like a middle schooler at his first co-ed dance as she wrestled the exuberant dog. Janet saved him from his social awkwardness by speaking first. Good to see you. Staying out of trouble? No, my middle name is Trouble, and we're in the shit as usual. Have a seat. Get something to eat. We'll catch you up. Struggling to suppress a grin, he gestured around the room. You remember Mags and Bella, and this is Becca. There was a sense of something different in the mood now. Not quite joy, but a sense that they were witness to some sort of miracle, like the appearance of Janet had rolled back the stone of their hopelessness. They settled in, all of them seemingly talking at the same time, getting reacquainted. They filled in the blanks of what happened since she jumped out of the shuttle bus with a chainsaw. It seemed so long ago now, like it had happened in a different world. But after some time, the stories had all been told. The little group sat back, sated from the conversation. They were synchronized now. It was time to turn to the problem of the hour. So, what's going on? Janet asked. The king's met again, the old man said. Mags can draw you a picture. Janet's features hardened. Mags laid the situation out on a map, drawing lines and circling features of the distribution center. Becca spoke up. Now we can go help the people at the D.C. Mags was sober in a response. I don't think this changes anything. They still have the numbers and the guns. Janet pitched in. I took out a bunch of them with Molotov cocktails on the other side of the river. I could do that for these a-holes. I don't know. We'd have to get them all in one place for that to be effective. I'll do it, Janet said with that passion and wrath that she had for the king's men. I'll go in there and kill them all. The old man spoke up. Listen here, Wonder Woman. Getting yourself heroically killed doesn't solve anything. You're in no shape for it anyway. He asked Mags directly. Do we have any advantages over these guys? I don't know if it's an advantage, 
but they're clearly undisciplined thugs. If I had ten train marines, they wouldn't even see us coming. But you don't, the old man said. What's your training say about attacking a superior force? It says don't do it. Unless you have a sizable advantage in numbers, don't try a frontal attack. The old man furrowed his brow in thought, as if trying to remember something specific. Then he spoke one word triumphantly. Dudeberg! What? Mags and Janet said simultaneously like he had lost his mind. Dudeberg Forest, the old man continued, warming to his topic. The Germans trapped a superior Roman army and slaughtered them. They looked at him with mystification and a bit of pity, like he was a homeless man shouting epitaphs on the sidewalk. Don't look at me like I'm crazy, he said. It's a case study on how to beat a superior force. The Romans had the latest weapons and training in three trained legions. The Germans slaughtered them wearing bearskins and swinging axes and had very few losses. Okay, Professor, Mag said. How did they do that? They led the Romans into a set of hills and narrow valleys and bogs where the larger army got spread out. Then they attacked the isolated units from the hills. Defeat in detail, Mag said, nodding. That's how you defeat a superior force. You break them up into smaller forces where you can beat them. You take away their advantage and hit them with Molotov cocktails. Janet added a bit too gleefully. The old man nodded. Mags thought about it. You might be on to something. Does that mean we're going to save them? Becca asked. Mags looked at the old man, then at Janet and smiled. It means we're going to try. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, my survivor friends. Are there airplanes in the apocalypse? I just got off one last night. Didn't get home till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. So if my voice sounds like a sexy overnight DJ, that's why. And kids, I don't mean a DJ like the ones that spin the beats at a rave while you stumble around high on ecstasy with a manic smile on your face, bouncing around to flashing lights. Although that would be a good setting 
for a zombie apocalypse movie, wouldn't it? Not a good movie, but like a direct-to-cable one, we could call it Death at the Disco. Except that's already the name of a franchised murder mystery theater and a board game. But I digress. The type of late-night DJ I refer to as an archetype is the guy, and it was usually a guy, who worked the overnight shift at the local radio station when there were actual humans required at radio stations to play the records. And typically, this was the guy who couldn't get a normal job because he was a stoner or a closet communist. And since he was on at night when no one was listening, he could get away with whatever he wanted and play whatever he wanted. No one cared. And since he knew no one was listening, he usually sounded half asleep and bored. And since he stayed up all night, every night, usually sounded pretty burnt out and rough. And that is four straight sentences started with a conjunction, which reminds me of a song. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. Google it. Ten extra apocalypse points for anyone who gets the reference. Links in the show notes. Today... I want to tell you my Walking Dead story. Now, The Walking Dead was definitely an inspiration for me. I really liked the show. I thought it was very well done. It was the right show at the right time. And I was not a zombie virgin when it came out. I had already been influenced by some of the great uh, zombie movies. Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, 28 Days Later, all good, good flicks. The originals, not the remakes. And I did not start watching The Walking Dead until well into the second season, I think. But then I became a huge fanboy until somewhere around the eighth season where they had just killed off all the good characters and it turned into a lame soap opera and I lost interest. I started watching because two reasons. One was I heard the buzz. It got a lot of positive buzz. And I was training for a triathlon. So let me explain. If you live in New England, like I do, there is a very short season for riding your bicycle outside. If you need to train for a race, you have to put your bike on this medieval torture device called a trainer, which basically turns your race bike into a stationary bike. And if you're training for a a race, you have to spend hours on the trainer, and it's a form of living death in itself. You're in this fixed position, and you're not going anywhere. So to alleviate the tedium, boredom, and mind-numbing discomfort, we position our laptops so we can watch movies and shows while we suffer for our sport. After a bit of this, I found The Walking Dead, and I binge-watched through those first seasons, and it was awesome. It took my mind off that spinning and started to make me actually look forward to these sessions. And it actually helped my workouts because when the zombies came out, my heart rate would go up and I'd be, I'd be working out harder, right? So after I caught up, I would then watch the new shows when they came out on Sunday nights, which probably lowered my net worth and my IQ. <laughs> probably lowered my net worth by a few hundred thousand dollars because, you know, I'd be watching the show on, late on a Sunday night, have a couple of beers, stay up late, watching The Walking Dead, which is a horrible way to start your your week and your Monday a little bit fuzzy and sleep-deprived. But like I said, I stopped watching in whatever season that was where they killed off Rick 
And part of it was that I lost interest in the characters. And part of it was that they made it really hard to catch up or binge watch after it got popular. And you don't want to watch them out of sequence. You lose the thread. So in the words of my business world, they put a lot of friction into the user experience. I did watch a little bit of Fear the Walking Dead, the spinoff. But again, it, I had to give it up because AMC just made it hard to watch. And it made it hard to watch the shows in sequence and catch up. So this show, The Walking Dead, was originally a graphic novel series by Robert Kirkman, Tony Moore, and Charlie Adlard. And I have not read the graphic novels, but I will at some point. I think that would be fun. AMC ordered the pilot episode in 2010 based on the strength of the graphic novels and the adaptation. They are currently in the 11th and final season, but the universe is going strong with a dizzying number of spin-offs. It is a case study, a use case in content exploitation. These guys are farming this universe for all it can give. So take a deep breath because here we go. First, they had a web series created by AMC that went with the original Walking Dead, and these were web episodes that happened in the same universe at the same time. There are four of these that you can find on the AMC website if you've got the patience. Next, there was the Talking Dead talk show that came on after the episodes on Sunday nights as sort of a cool down where they talked about what the last episode was, and it was mostly just annoying. There are three films in the works to continue Rick's character story. I've never actually seen that episode, but apparently when he leaves the show, he gets mysteriously taken away by a bright light or something, so there was mystery there. There is, of course, the spin-off Fear the Walking Dead, which started in 2015 and is in its sixth season right now. And it also had four web series episodes created for it that you can find. There is the spin-off Walking Dead The World Beyond, which follows the first generation of children after the apocalypse starts, and that has ten episodes. AMC has green-lighted Greenlit? Greenlighted? Green Lantern? I don't know. They have greenlit a spin-off anthology series called Tales of the Walking Dead, which will be a bunch, sounds like a bunch of standalone episodes in the Walking Dead universe and should start debuting mid-2022 to keep everybody's interest while they create all these other things after the original series ends. Like... There are plans for a Daryl and Carol spin-off series starting after they wrap up this final season. And they have greenlit another spin-off called Isle of the Dead, starring Negan and Maggie, that will take place in Manhattan, and this is also slated for 2023. So kids, let that be a lesson to you. If you have a good idea and people seem to like it, milk it for all it's worth! Ah, I can't wait until Hollywood calls on me and I can start writing my spin-offs. Because who can live without knowing what happens to your pet goldfish in the in the apocalypse in my planned sequel after the aquarium? That should be good for 10 to 12 episodes right there. 
All right, so we've got 144 nice people with excellent senses of humor and reasonable self-grooming standards in our Facebook group now. We are at about 13,500 downloads a month and have surpassed the 100,000 total downloads mark on Acast. That doesn't mean we can rest on our laurels, which I should explain comes from the ancient Greek and Roman traditions of the champion being rewarded with a laurel wreath to wear. And some wag in the 18th century using that phrase, rest on your laurels, to mean a champion who stops trying. Anyhow, this small team of poorly groomed survivors needs to keep liking, reviewing, and telling your friends about the podcast, especially if we ever hope to learn what happens to Harvey the Goldfish. All the links are in the show notes. Shoot me an email at cyktrussell with two s's and two l's at gmail.com if you need anything. I hope to kick off a couple of my own projects soon. One will be to build out some episodes of that uh, Man in the Mirror story we've been working on. Another will be the rewrite and expansion of the season one script into an actual book form, and I'll I'll need your help with that because I'll need some good beta editors, beta readers for that project, because I'm going to need to add about 40,000 words. And I think there's a lot of room to go deeper into some of the characters and some other things we can do, but I'd appreciate your thoughts. I'm really happy about where this current season, season two, is ending up, and I'm looking forward to creating a compelling arc for season three that moves the story forward and creates new and compelling centers of gravity in our universe. So thank you. No, really, thank you for downloading and listening. You are the fuel for my fire. You are the wind in my sails. Keep up the good work. And let's keep building that positive karma. Let's be kind to the other citizens. And most of all, put one foot in front of the other. Keep moving forward. I know you can do it. And keep surviving. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.